Greetings and welcome to Mind Matters News. The recently released movie, The Sound of Freedom, has provided some chilling insight into the practice of human trafficking in the modern world. Today's podcast is a rebroadcast of our interview with Charlie Crockett on the use of social media in human trafficking and how you can help fight against this practice. Greetings and welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your host, Robert J. Marks. With all the border crossings in Mexico to the U.S., we hear a lot about human trafficking. Human trafficking is a fancy word for human slavery. I one time thought, human trafficking, okay, let's go on and talk about something else. But I met our guest today, Charlie Crockett. We chatted and he gave me a book called Surviving the Life, How I Overcame Sex Trafficking by Julia Walsh. The book transformed my views on human trafficking. The book was by a girl with a loving upbringing in Texas who got caught up in sex trafficking. Human trafficking is pervasive and chilling. Let me offer a warning that some of the things we will talk about in this interview might not be suitable for younger children, but I would encourage moms and dads to listen. Those who seduce young kids today into human trafficking use coercion using social media to bait their victims. And young people today are drowning themselves, of course, in social media. In fact, I got this one source. Uh, The U.S. government reports that um, the following statistic, quote, the average age the young person becomes involved in sex trafficking is 12 years old. The book Surviving the Life takes place in Texas. I live in the Bible Belt, Waco, Texas, where uh, we're, we're right in the middle of the Bible Belt. In fact, driving to my church, I passed three other Christian churches. I passed the Landmark Baptist Church, a Bible Fellowship Church, and the First Methodist Church of Woodway. Nevertheless, in my community, there are kids being seduced into the bondage of human trafficking. I mentioned that Surviving the Life by Julia Walsh uh, kind of really shook me up. I want to read a quick passage from the book. This is Julia Walsh talking. While I was growing up, our house was in the upper middle class suburbs, away from areas of extreme poverty and danger. My brother and I were carefree, often playing outside with the other neighborhood children. My dad helped my brother and me build a tree house in the backyard where I fondly remember many adventures. My family gave us wonderful toys and gifts. I was given the opportunity to learn music, to play the piano, read, and play sports. Sports like soccer, tennis, swimming, and volleyball. We were giving everything an upper-middle-class family can offer. This sounds like an ideal American childhood, but this young girl was recruited into sex trafficking. She had a brutal controller or pimp that would beat her if she did not do what he said. He even had her branded with a tattoo that told the world she belonged to him. Thankfully, she escaped this life and is now working with others that have been involved in her previous situation. I told our guest today, Charlie Crockett, that I had a rough time preparing for this interview uh, today because it covers a lot of troubling things that are happening in our backyard. And that's our guest today. Our guest today is Charles Crockett. He goes by Charlie. Charlie is head and educational trainer for Unbound Now. He graduated in 2019 from Syracuse University with a bachelor's degree in human development and family science. He has used his degree to serve adults with severe disabilities in Boston, Massachusetts, 
and now to educate youth and professionals on human trafficking prevention is what he does with Unbound Now. Charlie, welcome. Thank you, Bob. Uh, first of all, just give me an overview about uh, your ministry, Unbound Now. Tell, tell me in a, in a few sentences what, what your purpose is, what you're doing, what you're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we started out of really just seeing the issue of human trafficking uh, happening overseas, uh, doing different missionary trips and things like that. And then we're birthed out of kind of that that hurt that you kind of you experienced reading that book uh, and just being like the opening opening up to the awareness of being like, wow, this is really happening. Uh, and then seeing it in our own community in Waco, Texas. Uh, and so our whole mission is to end human trafficking in, in Texas. Uh, and then I mean, we have 10 offices, uh, so we have offices internationally now and, and offices across Texas. We're starting an office in Phoenix. Uh, and so respectively in each of those communities, just see human trafficking end um, in those places. And we do that primarily through education, um, training our kids to prevent this crime so they can protect themselves, uh, training professionals so that they can protect their respective areas, law enforcement, doctors, teachers, uh, nurses, hotel workers, motel workers, things like that. Uh, and then we serve survivors. So any um, uh, victims that have been already victimized by human trafficking, uh, we can serve them with uh, resources, uh, provide advocacy for them, uh, and then connect them with partnering resources to get them holistic care. Okay. Uh, human trafficking is nothing more than a fancy word for slavery. Um, I thought the 13th Amendment of the United States ended slavery in the U.S., but I read somewhere that there are about 313,000 victims of human trafficking in the state of Texas alone. Mm -hmm. Does this sound like a, a, a correct number to you, and how pervasive is human trafficking in the United States? Yeah, unfortunately, that is that is true. Uh, that's what we know. Is It's around 313,000. Uh, people that are just trafficked in Texas. Um, I think it's estimated around 40.3 million worldwide. Wow. And it's one of those things that we're, that we just immediately think, especially in the States, we just immediately think that this happens overseas. Um, that, yeah, again, 13th amendment, this is something that was, uh, that's just not happening in the U S anymore. Um, and that's just unfortunately not true. Uh, there's about out of that 313,000, there's about 79,000 of that are minors and youth. Uh, that are being sex trafficked just in Texas. Um, so it's a big, big number. Um, and that's kind of what we were opened up to when we first started about 10 years ago, saw people getting sold on uh, Backpage, Craigslist, kind of right out in the open in Texas. Um, and so- Wait, they, they were being sold? Mm -hmm. And what, what, would, what would that consist of? What would they do? I mean, it was, I think for the longest time, they've been able to operate kind of in plain sight um, just kind of hidden in plain sight. And so, uh, when we first started, uh, it was, it was back page. It was Craigslist. There were just ads posted just for kind of as a covering. I think most people probably assumed it was some type of escort or prostitution or something like that. But you find out that these, these victims were a lot younger or, or whatever the case may be. Um, it was actually trafficking situations most commonly. I see. I see. You know, when, when I think of human trafficking, I think that the thing that comes to mind is sex trafficking, but there's other types of human trafficking. Uh, could you kind of unpack the spectrum of what human trafficking covers? Absolutely. Uh, in human trafficking, it's really just made up of, of there's sex trafficking and then there's labor trafficking. Uh, and so there are different types of trafficking, but uh, when, he's, when we're talking about human trafficking, uh, it's typically 
sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Uh, and labor is really just going to be anytime someone is forced, lied to, threatened, or coerced, or blackmailed, or anything like that to provide labor or service. And then sex trafficking uh, is any one of those same things. Again, this is all kind of definitions pulled from uh, just what we know, what the law defines as human trafficking. Um, but it's anytime someone's forced, lied to, threatened, or coerced to perform sexual service in exchange for something valuable. So these human traffickers, what what's the power that they have over their victims? Uh, we live in a free country, yet they must have some way that they're blackmailing them into the servitude. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one thing we know, I think a big misconception, something that I definitely would want to talk about here. Uh, is I think a lot of because of media, because of movies and TV shows, when we think of human trafficking, typically we think of kidnapping. Uh, we think to watch out for white vans. Uh, we think of people even maybe uh, kept in a house or kept somewhere tied down physically with ropes or chains or something like that. When in reality, the majority of these situations aren't like that. We have one of the top human trafficking detectives in, uh, in the country here in Waco. And, and he said that it's around less than 1% of these situations happen from kidnapping. And he's only worked one kidnapping case in his whole career. Oh my goodness. And so really these, these things that the, the power that the traffickers have over their victims is things like fear, uh, they instill a lot of fear in their victims, threatening their lives, threatening their, their families' lives, the people they care about. Um, it's, you know, threatening with pictures and blackmail. They try to uh, get them to send them pictures or videos of themselves. Uh, and then we'll black blackmail them with that. You know, it's it's drugs. They'll try to get them addicted to drugs um, so that they can eventually, you know, withhold that once they get them addicted and keep them coming back with an addiction. It's this trauma bond. We call it a trauma bond that forms when uh, because the majority of these start out of a relationship. Um, and so they build this loving, trusting, what feels like loving and trusting relationship with this person and then break that with abuse, but keep the manipulation going, keep the uh, confusion going. And so uh, we see victims go back to their trafficker many times because of this confusing relationship that's built. So, yeah, that, so that's my next question. When you rescue somebody from this, from this bondage, from this blackmail, uh, clearly if they step out of the life, if they stepped out of this threat, that blackmail and that stuff still lingers over them. What, what do you say to these people? Do you say that you just have to, to swallow the embarrassment that you're going to get by seeing these pictures splattered all over the web? What do you say to them? Well, there, thankfully, there are some uh, efforts that we can give to remove images or do the best we can, especially if it's something that uh, is still early on, if pictures haven't been posted yet, or if that's just something that's being held over them. We can do what we can to try and get those back. I think it's really just uh, to, you know, we just try to instill hope uh, in the victim and tell them that, you know, uh, they're just going to try and leverage this, you know, and and uh, and we can do the best we can, but odds are they're gonna they're gonna release it whether whether that person complies or not, um, and so it's it's really just trying to uh, encourage that that victim to uh, to not just do what they say, I guess. So you mentioned, and, and see if I got this right, sometimes you rescue somebody who is a victim of human trafficking, and they say, okay, I want out, but then they go back in. It's almost like an addiction, like they're addicted to a, a drug or alcohol or something like that. You, you have a, uh, a recurrence. 
Yes. Yeah, they say it's actually an average of three times uh, that a victim will go back to their trafficker before they fully get out of it. Um, so we've had many situations where uh, victims that are involved in some type of a relational trafficking situation will will come to us, will get services, uh, will start working with us, getting better. You know, we've, we've even had victims that we'll help recover to the point where they're getting in, a, in an apartment. We're helping them get, get set up an apartment uh, and then they'll go back to their trafficker. You know, they'll just leave, go back to their trafficker. And that's an average, just an average of three times. Uh, a lot of the times it's more than that. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the things about addiction. Uh, some of the drug addictions, some people have a number of relapses before they finally recover. And they basically have to hit bottom before they recover. Do you find that that is, is your experience? Do they, in some sense, hit bottom eventually? Yeah, I can't speak too much on that. Um, I I kind of work with our advocates, but our advocates are really the ones that are that are working directly with victims. I would imagine it's it's something like that. Uh, but you got to remember too, it's with trafficking these these traffickers. The traffickers will integrate drugs as well, uh, and so it's it's the combination of this relational what feels like a relational drug, the pulling back relationally, but then it's it's also oh. a combination with with a. a a substance they're addicted to as well. It's a combination that makes it really, really difficult to get out of. Okay. You know, I, I learned from the Julia Walsh book that a lot has to do with law enforcement attitudes. She was sex trafficked all around the state of Texas. Her handler, her pimp, would drive her from town to town with, where she would uh, do what she did, and she would often be arrested for prostitution. And she was always treated like a criminal. And she said it was only here in Waco, Texas, where she was taken aside and she was asked, is this what you want to do? Are you a victim? She was recognized as a potential victim for the first time here in, here in Waco. Mm-hmm. And she was with another girl and she was afraid to confess to it because she was afraid the other girl would betray her, would, would rat her out to her pimp. Mm-hmm. She would probably get beaten. But they finally took her into an isolated room and asked her again. And she says, oh, I'd love to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And they, there began to be taken steps in order to get her out of the so-called life. So what, what, how does Unbound Now educate law enforcement agencies that human trafficking is sometimes a a victim as opposed to a criminal? Yeah, that's good. That's a good question. Um, So one of the, I mean, we've, well, the thing that we've seen the most, uh, most useful is just build relationship with our law enforcement. I don't think any, any law enforcement wants to, wants to admit that there's a, there's a new issue or something like this. It's easier to kind of go with what we've always thought to continue in that, you know, this is just prostitution. Uh, it's easier to just, uh, slap on the wrist, you know, but in reality, what we're seeing is that these victims are oftentimes getting harsher sentences than their traffickers. And we're seeing the traffickers adapt to this being a common thing. Uh, so we're, traffickers know this, you know, they know that in a lot of places, um, they can just put their victims out in the open so that they'll get picked up. They oftentimes will turn their victims into recruiters. They'll tell them, Hey, if you don't want to, you don't want this to keep happening to you. You have to go out and get me some more, some more people. And so, yeah. uh, and, and they know that. So they'll put them kind of on the front lines so that they get picked up and they get the charges, they get 
put away, they get this off the wrist, all of that, and then the traffickers never get the heat for it. And unfortunately, that's kind of what it's been in a lot of places. And so the antidote to that we've seen is just build relationship with law enforcement, educate them on what we know, uh, and educate them on the signs. A lot of law enforcement may just have never gotten training for this. And so we'll provide that for them for free, uh, just on what to look for, how to identify a survivor, and then where to go. You know, uh, we... We at one point were creating a, a hotline for them so that they can have their own hotline just to call if they're on a traffic stop or something like that. And they see something, they can respond to it, call uh, and, and just call the hotline and it can connect them with all people that can already tell them what they're looking at. Uh, and so we try to provide all the resources we can for them, but it's really going to be the relationship and say, hey, we're going to walk this through with you. We're going to be here to help you when you do encounter a victim so that you don't have to be a counselor an advocate or anything like that, as well as a law enforcement agency, like we, we can come and partner with you in that so that you can do your job. We can do our job and really come alongside each other. Wow. So um, how can listeners learn more about Unbound Now and maybe contribute to your ministry? I'm sure you're probably a nonprofit and there has to be a way where they can support what you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, so all of that is going to be the, the best resource you're going to find is on our website. Uh, it's at unboundnow.org. Um, and through that, we have all of our offices, all of our things. Um, and Unbound Now Waco uh, is going to be us. Uh, but any of our any of our offices will be accessible through that website. Um, that'll have our vision, our, our statement, what we do, um, and then all opportunities to serve, all opportunities to give. You can become, a, a, we call it an Ignite, Ignite member, uh, where you can be kind of a consistent giver. We have uh, different fundraising opportunities with different events we host. We have a 5K event we always put on every year. And so any of those are great opportunities to give. Uh, and you can see the work we're doing kind of on that website as well. Um, we have training videos on our YouTube. Um, I'm on there as well as some other trainers. Uh, and so sharing that and spreading awareness is something that we always encourage. Um, and that helps our work drastically as well to any of those things. Okay. You mentioned a hotline. Do you want to share that number? And maybe tell people what they should call you about. What what are the topics that that you would be interested in becoming involved with? So we have kind of two numbers that we'll put out there. Um, we have our number, which is kind of uh, our Waco number, which we cover six counties uh, around our area. Uh, and so if you're in the Waco area, our hotline number is 254-414-0814. And then we also encourage that people will just keep the national human trafficking hotline number on them. Um, I have it in the favorites of my phone. It's one of those things where you never, you never know when you're going to run into a situation where you see something like this, sure. where you identify something, you get that gut feeling on the highway or something like that, that you're looking at something you don't want to, that you don't know what it is and you, you want to call. Um, and we always encourage that you keep this in your favorites because you don't want to be looking up something with bad service or in the moment and then miss an opportunity to, to share a, um, you know, a license plate number or whatever that is. And so the national number is 1-888-373-7888. Let me repeat those to make sure I have mm -hmm. them. I have them down. We're going to put this information in the, um, in the podcast notes, but sometimes when you hear a number once, it isn't, mm -hmm. it isn't good mm -hmm. enough. So, uh, the Waco number is two, five, four, 4140-814. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. And the national line is 888. Is it 3737? 
Yes. 888. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Great, great, great. And what are what are the things which people see that they should call up this number? I think clearly it's the victims of human trafficking. But if you're an observer of something, what is it that you observe that you should call this hotline? Absolutely. Uh, the biggest signs um, is if you see someone that's just overtly controlling over somebody else. If you see someone not allowing someone to pay at the grocery store or at a convenience store or any, any place, they're, they're kind of withholding that person's documentation. They're in control. Looks like they're in control of their, their like wait, money. Wait, wait, let's, right. let's, let's talk about this. So somebody comes into a convenience store mm-hmm. and they want to pay for something, for example, with a credit card and somebody's prohibiting them from using that credit card. Is that what you're saying or did I miss that? Or I'm, I'm, I'm more thinking if there's say two people there and the one person is, is seems like they're very overly controlling over that other person. Uh, and so if that's, we see this a lot of times in our hotel trainings that we give, we'll, we'll tell the hotel workers, um, that this may happen where you kind of both need to share names, but that person's talking for them. That person is, is kind of keeping up, not letting them kind of talk or give money or give ID, anything like that. Um, is going to be a pretty big indicator. Uh, if there's just an overall feeling, it's one of those things you can put words to sometimes. Sometimes you just get that gut feeling that, hey, I think this person's controlling this other person. Any any of, any of controlling indicators are going to be huge. And again, you kind of mentioned uh, with Julia that there was a kind of a tattoo that was that she uh, her trafficker had given her. Um, oh, yes. They branded her just mm-hmm. like a cow. Mm-hmm. And so any, anything like that, where it's the big indicator is going to be if you see somebody hiding, um, something. So if, if someone has, if a trafficker has put a tattoo on their victim, there's oftentimes going to be shame there. Uh, and so if someone is, you see someone covering up a tattoo or trying to hide it, um, that's going to be an indicator that there's some type of a story going on. The tattoos that we see most commonly in trafficking are going to be the, the trafficker's name or a crown. Uh, to say that they're king over them or something like that. Um, we hear, I mean, pop culture will tell you it's something like barcodes or numbers. And that's really, we don't ever really see that. Um, it's mostly going to be something like a name or a crown, but it's also going to be the biggest indicator is them hiding it. Uh, and the same thing's going to happen with uh, signs of abuse. So any type of bruises or scars marks or anything like that. And people hiding that uh, is a huge indicator. I see. Because, yeah, one of the terms I learned from Julia Walsh's book was a gorilla pimp. There's different types of pimps. And one of them is the gorilla pimp, which actually controls their victims with uh, physical beatings. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you see bruises from that, you you can say, ah, something is happening here. Well, thank you, Charlie. Our guest today has been Charles Crockett. Charlie is head of the edu- is, is the head educational training for Unbound Now. It's a ministry that helps free victims of human trafficking. And I want to talk more in our next podcast about the use of social media in human trafficking recruitment. We'll do this next time on Mind Matters News. Until then, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. 
The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.